that you would speak to us and that you would do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Do um, do open up your Bibles, if you've got them, back to Acts chapter 4, where we've got up to in our evening series. Before we turn there, um, it's a great joy, isn't it? Uh, The baptism, uh, the opportunity to baptise somebody, to speak and remember the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The first question that I asked Kyle there in the baptismal pool just a moment ago was this. Kyle, do you confess? That you have turned from sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your saviour and your Lord. And Kyle answered, I do. And as Kyle made that confession, declaring his faith in Jesus and then being baptised as a sign of his faith in Christ, he joined a long, ever-growing list of people who have done likewise. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we read back in Acts chapter 2, 41, of the first 3,000 people who also did this, who believed in Jesus and were baptised. And in our passage this evening, if you have the Bible with you there, look with me at verse 4, we read of more and more people doing the same, hearing about Jesus and believing in him, professing faith in him. So that there are now perhaps 5,000 or even more, depending on whether Luke is including just the men or um, others in his number. But more and more people, like Kyle, professing faith in Christ. Confessing him to be saviour and lord in their lives. And we're going to read in the book of Acts that this number of people is just going to grow and grow and grow. As the gospel, the good news about Jesus spreads throughout Jerusalem. And then on into the neighbouring areas of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to Rome and beyond. And the result of that is that today, the good news is still spreading. The good news of Jesus Christ is spreading so that people today in Indonesia, in Mauritania, in China, in Zimbabwe, in Canada, in Greenland, wherever you go across the world, there are countries and there are people who are professing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ just like Kyle professed this evening. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I think we see in our passage the first clue there at the end of verse 2. Because in Jesus there is hope. There is hope beyond death. Do you see there the hope of the resurrection from the dead? This is what Peter was talking about last week, if you were with us, when he talked about Christ returning, when he would come back for his people. This is going to be a time when all will be restored and made new. Just as Christ rose from the dead, the Christian faith and hope is that those trusting in Jesus will rise too. And that is surely good news. Good news for us all to rejoice in this evening. Certainly uh, enough news, uh, good enough news that those 5,000 people then turned to Christ. And millions upon millions upon millions have ever since. But as we look at this passage together this evening, and we see this hope that is found in Jesus' name, I want us to notice, first of all, that this message about Jesus isn't just believed by everyone. 
It's not just accepted university. In fact, as we look at the passage this evening, we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus is actually a name that divides. Jesus is a name that divides. Look with me there at verse 1. To give the context, first of all, of where we are, if you haven't been with us, we've just seen a lame man completely healed through faith, or through Jesus' name, through the apostles' faith. And since then, we've seen Peter proclaiming the good news that is found in Jesus. The forgiveness, the refreshing, and the hope that Jesus can bring for everyone, not just this lame man. So now here we pick up in verse 1 and we see this opposition. The first opposition that we see in the book of Acts, and it will not be the last. Verse 1 we read, And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple, that's the second highest ranking priest of the time, and the Sadducees, they came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So in the backdrop of Jesus being a name that 5,000 or more are believing in, Here we see a group of people who are not so happy to hear about Jesus and the supposed good news found in him. So much so, we see that they take Peter and John and they put them in custody, don't they, until the next day when they can put them on trial trial for all that they're doing and saying. Look at the word there at the start of verse 2. These high-ranking priests, Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead, they are greatly annoyed. We could even say they're just, they're just plain angry about what is happening. First of all, I guess they're angry because Peter and John are preaching in the temple. When they would probably say they had no right to do that. They were not the scribes, the priests, etc. But then also what they're preaching is offensive too. They're speaking about Jesus. And Jesus is the one that they themselves had condemned to death, if you remember. And Peter and John is saying, well, that there is resurrection from the dead. This is controversial news to be spreading. Now, as we see this, I just want us to notice here what seems to be going on in the hearts of those Jewish leaders at the time. And I think it's potentially best described as some kind of usurping here. Usurping that they're not best pleased with. Just as when Jesus was alive, people flocked to hear him, didn't they? And they wondered at his authoritative words. Well, so now, people are doing the same with Peter and John. And they're not coming to the scribes. And just as when Jesus was alive, the message he proclaimed called for all to bend their knee to him and trust in him. Even these seemingly important leaders of the time. Well, so now, Peter and John are spreading the same message about Jesus. And so to try to stop, put a stop to this usurping of their own authority, and to stop this heretical message that they see going out further, they put Peter and John in jail. So that they can then question them the next day in front of the whole Sanhedrin, the same council of Jewish leaders that had condemned Jesus only months before So did this plan work? Did this plan to stop the message of Jesus work? Well, no. Here's what the minister and author John Stott 
says, reflecting on the contrast there. We see in verses 1-3 the opposition, but then verse 4. The Sadducees, they could arrest the apostles, but they couldn't arrest the gospel. Acts is going to present this for us time and time again as we look at it. And it's so encouraging. The word of Jesus will go out and it will continue to bear fruit, even despite opposition, even despite schemes to stop it. Seeing these first four verses here this evening together, I think, reminds us that we should expect much of the same today as well. That as Jesus' name is proclaimed, it will be a name that divides. Some people will hear it and will be greatly annoyed. Because they're going to be called to give the lordship of their lives over to someone else. Someone who is going to usurp their authority. Their own self-importance. Their own right to live just pure and simple as they see fit. But even as that is some people's response, others will trust. Many will believe. And if that's the case, I think there is great reason to see these verses and take heart here this evening. First of all, we can take heart that if we're a Christian here this evening, even as we do face opposition, as we look to speak about Jesus with those around us, those at home, those at work, those in our student accommodation, wherever it might be, We are not alone in facing that. It is to be expected. Here are Peter and John, Jesus' earliest disciples, facing the same kind of reaction. And we can take heart in that. That is to be expected. But we can take heart in that as well. Because even as many of us do face opposition of some kind, whether it's big or small, we can also remember what these verses show us. And the words of Jesus that he said... That he will build his church. And no, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Remember and be encouraged this evening. That even if you're not seeing it, God is at work. He is building his kingdom. And bringing people to know and trust in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Isaiah 55, 11 says? These are precious words. The word of the Lord shall not return empty. It shall accomplish its purposes. And so we can take confidence in that. Rejoice in that this evening. God's promise that we saw last week that all families on earth will be blessed. Well, that is being fulfilled. Even despite opposition, as more and more people hear the word and trust in Christ. So that's the first thing that we see in this passage this evening, that Jesus is a name that divides, that even as some are turning and trusting in it, like Kyle has professed for himself tonight too, others are turning against it. Here's the second thing then for us to notice as we continue on in the next few verses, and that is that Jesus is a name that heals. In this attempt to quash Peter and John's preaching about Jesus and the hope of the resurrection from the dead, we read in verses 5 to 7 that these Jewish leaders bring Peter and John before the council, the Sanhedrin. As we said, the same place that Jesus had found himself only weeks before. And here we see these important men. They would have been sitting in their semicircle, pretty intimidating. And we read in verse 7 that Peter and John are brought in and set in their midst. And they begin to be questioned. 
don't they? Presumably in some kind of attempt to undermine them or their message about Jesus. Or or at the very least, just to pure and simple, stop them talking about Jesus. We read there in the second half of verse 7 that they're asked this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? That is, uh, by what power or by what name did you heal that lame man that we, we saw a couple of weeks ago? And Peter wastes no time in responding, does he? Just as he had done when the, the crowds of the people had flocked to him in the previous chapter, Peter here, in verse 10, makes it crystal clear that this healing was not his own doing. This was the work of Jesus, who despite being condemned to death, By these same people that he is standing in front of now, God has raised from the dead. And who is now risen and reigning at his father's right hand. Look at how Peter sums it up at the end of verse 10. He says, by him, that is, by Jesus, this man is standing before you well. Jesus, says Peter, is a name that heals It restores, it transforms lives. Now as we reflect on that, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, I don't think, this evening. If Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really is the Son of God, the one through whom all things were created and have their being, and the one who today is risen and reigning over all things, well, healing a lame man, that's well within his capabilities, isn't it? But notice that, as usual, Peter doesn't just leave it there. He's already hinted in his choice of language at the end of verse 9 that there is something much bigger going on here in this healing. Something much bigger at stake than the healing of a lame man, as impressive and as awe-inducing as that has been. See there at the end of verse 9, we read this, this translation, these words, by what means this man has been healed. And that word for healed there, well, it can be translated in this sense of being physically healed. Almost all the time in Acts and elsewhere in the Bible, it is the same word. Well, it is the word, the root word for saved. This man has been saved. Peter is already here pointing us in the direction that he's going to finish in with verses 11 and 12. He's implying that Jesus is not only a name that heals but also a name that saves. Over the last few weeks, we've uh, already been thinking about this a little bit, if you've been with us, that as we see this healing of this lame man and the transformation, the blessing that he has received through the name of Jesus, we're meant to see that there is also a deeper reality in view here, a deeper spiritual reality. The reality that each of us and everyone everywhere actually needs this same healing, saving, transforming work of Jesus in our lives too. As John Stott again puts it, Peter sees one man's physical cure as a picture of the salvation that is offered to all in Christ. And we can see this if you look with me at how Peter concludes his defence in this part, of the, this part of the speech. Read with me how he finishes in verses 11 and 12. Peter says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. Here, Peter is making it clear, isn't he? Jesus is a name that not only heals, but also a name that saves. Look there at the language he uses at the end of verse 11. Jesus has become the cornerstone. And this is significant language. In using this language, Peter is saying that this Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah, who came to fulfill God's promise to restore Israel and the whole of creation. And he's saying it is on this Jesus as the cornerstone that God has vindicated, has raised, that he is going to be doing his work. This image of a cornerstone is taken from Psalm 118, which is also something that Jesus himself quotes from when he is speaking to the religious leaders as well. And the image is a really strong one. The cornerstone is that part of the building that is needed, that is essential if anything else is going to stay up in the building. No illustration is perfect, but here's an attempt. Lots of us have played Jenga here, right? There are other brands available as well, I think. But uh, it's the game, right, where you're you're building those blocks. And you have to remove one at a time and and put it on the top. Whenever I play Jenga, it seems like somebody takes it on as a personal challenge. That They see a block in there, and they poke it, and it doesn't move. But that doesn't stop them. They they poke it again, and you can just see in their eyes, they are determined, they are going to get that block out. And they poke it, and they pull it, and and as they start pulling it, you can see the tower just beginning to lean. And they pull it out a bit more, and it leans a bit more, and and then they pull it out and crash. We knew it was going to happen. In that, the whole thing collapses based on that block. Now, it isn't a perfect illustration, but I think it gets something of this idea. Jesus is that block, that stone. He is the one stone that if you pull it out, remove it, everything else is going to come crashing down. Jesus is essential to God's saving work. And apart from him, no one will enter the kingdom of God. And notice that this is exactly then the logical conclusion that Peter then points the Jewish leaders to in verse 12. Because there he makes it clear that not only is Jesus a name that saves, but actually it's more correct to say that he is the only name that saves. Look with me again at how clearly Peter puts this. It's striking in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. This is bold stuff, isn't it? Salvation in no one else. There is no other name. And as we hear Peter saying these words to these Jewish leaders back then, we have to realise that he is speaking the same words to us today too. Because nothing has changed from then to now. Jesus is that very same cornerstone today that he was back then. He is the one on which God is building his kingdom. And today he is the only one who we can turn to for salvation. Now, I'm aware that in saying that, in this day and age, it seems particularly controversial. We're in a world, aren't we, where everywhere we go around, we hear 
Listen, you can believe and think whatever you want. It's up to you. Well, well, that's your way of thinking, but I've got my own way, and that's okay. But amongst all of this clamour for the right to define ourselves however we like, the right to believe whatever we like, Peter's claim here, it it stands out, doesn't it? And it's a claim that every single one of us here this evening needs to come to terms with, needs to grapple with. Because what Peter is saying here is that all roads don't just lead to God. And what Peter is saying here is that all religions, well, they're not just some kind of man-made crutch to help us feel better about ourselves. No, Peter is saying there is one true God. And we can come to him. But there is only one way we can do that. We cannot do that on our own terms. The only way, Peter says, to come to him is through the name of Jesus. He is the only name by which we must be saved. So as we see that claim, why is that the case? Why is it that there is no other name by which we must be saved? And here we need to see what the Bible teaches. What the Bible as a whole teaches. What Jesus teaches and what the apostles teach here in the book of Acts as well. We need to see that each and every one of us here is in a pretty desperate situation. A bit like that lame man, right, that we saw a few years ago, sat begging, hopeless, desperate. We're like that, except we aren't physically lame, but we're spiritually lame. In fact, more than that, we are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead and cut off from our God because of our sin. Because just like we see of the Jewish rulers back then who've rejected the good God who made them, so have we. We have rejected our God. A God who made us, who loves us, who knows what is best for us. And we've pure and simple turned our backs on him and gone the other way. And that leaves us in a desperate situation and it leaves us with only one hope. One hope that this same God that we have turned our backs on would make a way. Would make a way for us too to come back to him. To be forgiven. And that is what the work of Christ does. That is the name of Christ. This is what he does through his son. The father sends Jesus to earth to live a perfect life. To die on the cross. A death where he took upon himself the sins of all who trust in his name. Here's how Isaiah chapter 53 verses 5 to 6 puts it. And we mentioned this last week as well. Jesus, the suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. All of that then, as we said at the start, then divides. Divides us here this evening. It divides us into one of either two camps. Either we are this evening in the camp where we are trusting in Jesus. Where we know that our sin is fully paid for. Where there is no more debt to be paid. No judgment to come. Because that judgment has already fallen on Jesus. On the cross. 
That's one camp we could be in this evening. The other camp that we could be in this evening is that we are not trusting in Jesus. And that means that our debt of sin remains firmly on our own shoulders. There is no one else who can pay for it. And that means that on that final day, when we are called to give account for our lives before God, that sin that remains with us is going to condemn us. Because God is a holy God. God is a God who is a God of justice. He demands that sin does not go unpunished. Just like we know deep down, we all demand justice in the world. Well, that is God, and He will punish sin. Jesus Himself taught, didn't He, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. And that is what Peter, Peter is saying to us today, too. And if that's true, we need to take this seriously. We need to take Jesus, his death, his resurrection and his claims seriously. Because apart from him, the sobering reality is what we've just described. That we will face God's justice and judgment. Last week, in chapter 3, we read that every soul who does not listen to Jesus shall be destroyed. But with Jesus, the situation changes, completely changes. It's transformed because with Jesus, there is forgiveness. With Jesus, there is grace. With Jesus, there is mercy. With Jesus, there is hope. Just as we close, notice the challenge that Peter is leaving here with the Jewish leaders in verses 11 and 12. He, in verse 11, hasn't he? He's made it clear that these are the same people who rejected Jesus, the cornerstone, the one who God raised. And he's made it clear that that same Jesus is the only name that saves. So these Jewish leaders are left with a choice. He's leaving them with a decision. Will they go on in their path of rejecting Jesus? Or will they repent of their sin and turn back and trust in his name, trust in his name for salvation? This is the grace of the gospel. All of us in our sinfulness have also rejected our God, rejected Jesus, his lordship of our lives. But that isn't the end. It doesn't have to be the end. The same message that Peter is bringing to the Jewish leaders, he is bringing to us today. It is here for us. There is salvation tonight offered in the name of Jesus. Given that, if you haven't already, this evening, will you, like Kyle, profess faith in the name of Jesus. Profess him as your saviour and lord. If you will, the incredible news for you is that you too can receive forgiveness, can receive refreshing, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit in your life and the hope that Jesus offers to all who will come to him as he transforms our lives from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And I know many of us here are sitting this evening and have already made that profession like Kyle. Confessed that we are trusting in the name of Jesus. Well, as we close, be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is salvation in the name of Jesus if you are trusting in it. So let me just say to you, keep on trusting. Keep on trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for all that you need. The world around us is going to tell us all kinds of other things to chase after. 
It's going to offer promises that it will never fulfill, but Jesus always fulfills his promises. Keep standing firm on the one cornerstone, the one solid rock that is the name of Jesus. Because if you are trusting in his name through your life, it will see you safely home to our God forever. That glorious hope in the name of Christ. As we sing in, we're going to sing in just a moment. This sums it up so well. There is no other name in heaven can be found through whom we are redeemed, through whom your grace abounds. No other name can save but Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that even though we were dead in our sins, you have made us alive in Christ if we will come to him and put our trust in him, his name, and come to him for forgiveness. Lord, we thank you so much for this encouragement this evening to go on trusting in that name because that name, in that name, that name of Christ, there is salvation. There is hope. There is peace with you. So Lord, for those of us here who know the Lord Jesus Christ, please would you encourage us this evening as we go on into our weeks. Lord, help us to hold fast to that name. Help us, like Peter, to be bold in proclaiming that name because it is the name that the world needs to hear. And for those here this evening who perhaps have not yet put their trust in Christ, please would you stir in their hearts and show them their need of Christ. Lord, please, tonight, here in Belfast and right around the world, would you continue to build your church as more and more people turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to finish by singing this song. It sums up so much of what we've just been, just been talking about. There is no other name but Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's uh, stand together.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.